Hello, everybody, and thank you for joining me today on Ardent Roundtable. It's another episode here. I believe this is episode 26 of Ardent Roundtable. I can't believe we've been at this for so long. Uh, of course, I have my co-host with me, as always, Dr. Larry Snyder from, uh, from out in Kansas. Thank you so much for joining us today, Dr. Snyder. Love it. Uh, we also have a special guest on with us today, uh, Dr. Mark Caffone, orthopedic surgeon on the veterinary side, of course, uh, here to share some regenerative medicine wisdom, uh, the how, what, and why, as a surgeon, you should get into regenerative medicine, that is stem cell therapy, platelet-rich plasma. So we're really excited to have everybody on with us uh, this afternoon, and uh, we'll just go ahead and get started. If anybody has any questions over the course of this podcast while you're listening to it, if we spark any ideas, if we can get your gears turning, if you want to talk to us, please send us an email, info at ardentanimalhealth.com. You can also give us a call, 859-885-7111. And again, my name is Dylan Lancaster. You can ask for me directly. So to get into our conversation today, both of you are what I would call stem cell veterans. I know for those of our listeners that are regulars on this show, I, I, I refer to Dr. Snyder as our stem cell guru, so to speak. So um, really just want to get a good idea from you guys. And I'll start with, uh, I'll start with you, Dr. Snyder. What advice would you offer to a veterinarian that is considering bringing on regenerative medicine into the practice? Well, it's, it's, uh, it's certainly, I'm sure Mark will agree with that. It's, it's not for everyone and it's not for every case, but it certainly is a, it certainly is a tool that, that needs to be at least discussed for some cases, for appropriate cases, it gives you a big advantage. Um, um, what do they say to, if you're a hammer, everything looks like a nail. Um, in the case of stem cells, there are things that we know it works well on, certainly osteoarthritis, um, uh, gosh, fracture, fracture repair, some of the ununited, ununited um, um, delayed unions. Certainly it has a place there. Uh, DJD, uh, degenerative joint disease, always uh, um, uh, IVDD, the um, intervertebral disc disease. I think we, we have a really strong area there. And um, for me, I, I think that we're going to see uh, from the immune-mediated standpoint, I think we're going to see leaps and bounds in the use of stem cells for uh, uh, immune-mediated diseases. And that's all of them from pimpagus, pimpagus to um, um, atopy, um, IBDD, um, shepherds with the perianal fistulas. I think all of these are going to be fair game and probably as we understand more about uh, how to properly dose the stem cells, uh, we're going to see a, a big advantage. So from, from my standpoint, for a practitioner, it gives us another tool, a way to treat diseases that we really haven't had any way to treat in the past. So for me, it's a, it's a strong win. And by treating, of course, we're, we're, of course, treating the root cause of disease with regenerative medicine, as opposed right. to, to masking with other, you know, NSAIDs or a pain medication regimen with, uh, with steroids, right? Absolutely. It's a, a regenerative medicine is a completely different, we're used to using pharmaceuticals, we're used to taking a pill, feel better in five minutes. Well, regenerative medicine, you're, like you said, we're looking at, at going after the root cause, we're looking at getting down in the case of immune disease. We're looking at trying to, trying to um, reset that immune system, tamp down these T4, T8 cells and, and upregulate the Tregs to where they can start um, resetting that immune system to where the body recognizes self. And in the case of, uh, of some of these degenerative joint diseases to where we're actually um, tamping, tamping down, changing this... Uh, this microenvironment in the in the joint, um, removing some of these cytokines, these inflammatory cytokines, and upregulating some of the uh, uh, anti-inflammatory cytokines. So we can start looking at at not only making the animal feel feel better clinically, but actually healing the problem from the bottom up. Right. Absolutely. 
And I'll open the floor up to both of you guys for this question. What do you see as really the, the primary benefit or what's something that you wish that you would have known before you brought on regenerative medicine? Well, certainly, I think for me, I wish that, you know, this was something available from the day I started my career, because, you know, there's always been so many cases I can go back over in my head and uh, wish they had a better option. You know, I, you know, uh, I've been around long enough that even the current NSAIDs uh, were not available and we were using aspirin. Um, but certainly to be able to offer something for dogs and cats with osteoarthritis and really any inflammatory or immune-mediated disease, I think the sky's the limit right now when it comes to where you can apply these cells, where you can apply this type of treatment, uh, not only in uh, stem cells, but with PRP alone, how it can complement uh, what we're currently doing so or what we have done for a long time uh, and maybe never got the outcome that we want it uh, never as good as we want it uh, certainly um, there's so many cases in the past that you know prior to being able to use stem cells that i wish i had that availability something you wish you could have used sooner <laughs> oh yeah yeah well, I, well i think i think that's uh, what's so exciting about it right we're, we're at the cutting edge of veterinary medicine really with this technology and just from my experience on the business development side of things, almost finding new applications for stem cell every day. I mean, I reached out to Dr. Snyder, I think two weeks ago, was it an IMHA patient that we discussed? And that's a little bit more of a challenging case, right? But we're continually finding these new applications. I think that's what makes it so exciting for people. And I think as we get forward, I, I completely echo what Dr. Capone says is, as far as the uh, I wish I would have had this. We, we started out in, I think our first case we did in November of 2010. And I wish I, I would have known at, at that time, there were very few uh, oh, cases you could, you could bank or you could, you could take and, and rely on. So it's kind of a leap of faith. And I think every veterinarian out there, it, it takes that, that belief um, at least How would you encourage those veterinarians to take that leap of faith? Absolutely. Absolutely. In our case, we invited the radio, TV, uh, newspapers, because there, there wasn't social media in 2010, or not nearly as much as there is now. And boy, that's putting everything out on the line. And if things turn south, it's not good. But in our case, uh, we did the procedure. They were able to talk to the people. And then we invited all of the press back again in two weeks to talk to the owners two weeks later. And that was uh, uh, a lot of tears, um, very, very positive, very positive launch for us. And um, it, since then, it's just, uh, that was in 2010, there was no storage of cells, so we couldn't store cells. Now we um, can store them. You can store them now. Yep. I think uh, Dr. Mike was there when we did our first one. And I think uh, he made the comment that we um, my gosh, we had a terrific yield of stem cells. He estimated we had 19 million stem cells, <laughs> which as you know now is almost nothing, right. but still we got excellent results on those two cases. And just for those that might not be familiar, going from 19 to where are we at now on an average? Over a billion. I think yeah. it's over a billion, I would imagine. Yeah, it's, a, it's incredible the way that we've been able to advance this technology. And Dr. Caffone, you've kind of joined us a little bit more recently than Dr. Snyder. So, of course, you've been uh, with us throughout the growth of, of this company and seeing the advancement of this technology. From, from your perspective, what do you see was the primary benefit of adding regenerative medicine to your practice? Well, I think it was a very, it's a more, a very important tool that I can now offer to a lot of patients. You know, I would see a lot of patients who would uh, come to the my practice with multiple joints that uh, are degenerative, you know, and you have an older patient with multiple joints and they're looking for, um, you know, something that you can offer them. And, you know, there's most of the time these joints are, you know, you can do a, a cruciate surgery or something like that, but they're really past the point of, that being that helpful and especially when you have maybe two hips and a knee and an elbow so you know this was something that we could 
give and offer the, the, the client and the patient that would provide some true relief for their discomfort um, with minimal morbidity associated with it. And uh, even if they only got a year and a half to two years, you know, we, I was, I think when I joined, you, you were already doing uh, banking. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, we were able to say, hey, look, you know, so if we get it, get you past a year and a half to two years and uh, things are going well, we just come back and do injections. We don't even have to go through the surgeries anymore. So it, it really just opened up a, a, a nice treatment you know, what I can offer clients and patients uh, outside of inva more invasive procedures that necessarily weren't going to make a world of difference to the dog mm -hmm. or the cat, you know, it's going to be some limited benefit. Um, and also Something above if, and beyond standard of care, right? Uh, yes. I mean, just mm -hmm. things that, you know, you know, you get to a point, I think when you do, I think as you get a further along in your career that you, you see that the things you've learned, you know, yes, you can help here and there, but you, you start to see patients that are outside that norm. That's, you know, not the one joint or the, the odd joint, it's mm -hmm. almost every joint and you want to be able to make a difference. Um, and, you know, even we haven't done too many, but we started to see dogs with, you know, immune mediated polyarthritis, you know, that, you know, those dogs, you know, you're putting them on steroids, mm -hmm. maybe you're using um, some other, immune modulating drugs, but, you know, this is again, another opportunity to treat mm -hmm. these dogs uh, in a way that you get to the, maybe the root of the problem mm -hmm. instead of just trying to mask the problem. And uh, mm -hmm. so I think that's also been uh, something that I've been very helpful or very happy that I've been able to offer. Well, you hit on something really important there, Dr. Caffone. And I think I think any veterinarian would agree with this. It's that you got to treat every patient as an individual. So each yes. case individual, mm -hmm. and I think due to really the, I consider regenerative medicine really something that's customized by the patient for the patient. And so really I want to capture that as kind of being the biggest benefit that you've seen, right? I think so. And, yeah. you know, and I think it's just important that, you know, we, you don't practice medicine, uh, in 2021, like we practice medicine in 2010 right. or 2020, or you know, even you know, or you know, 1985, <laughs> um, that we, you know, we really try and practice <laughs> medicine uh, to give our patients the best outcome possible, um, and you know, so yeah, I think it's, you know, the future, I think, is in regenerative medicine for a lot of diseases. You know, we may not have the exact formula right now of how we do it, uh, but it's coming, you know, it's there. And uh, so, you know, I, I think it, I'd certainly say to any new veterinarian, if you haven't heard much about it in veterinary school, it's, you know, a good time to learn mm -hmm. uh, because it's going to be part of your future. Right. And to any veterinarian who's, you know, practicing a long time, it's something that you can add to your your treatments that can you know help you enjoy things again you know help you mm -hmm. enjoy the fact that now you can treat some of these diseases that you've only been medicating right right yeah it's i think doctor i think dr Capone brought up a, a great point in that uh when you come out of school we're pretty sure and i i know in my case i don't know about yours dr Capone, but in my case it was always Anything we couldn't fix surgically, we could fix medically. And anything we couldn't fix medically, we could fix surgically. And it doesn't take very long before you realize those two paradigms don't encompass everything. And there's a lot of things that don't go the way they're supposed to, because once again, you're just putting a Band-Aid on it. And this gives us an opportunity to actually, actually treat the root cause, get to the root of the matter. Yeah, I agree with Dr. Schneider. You know, it's, uh, you know, it's definitely, you know, if it's a broken bone, you can fix it, but uh, not everything is a broken bone uh, that you can put a piece of metal on and fix it. Uh, some things need to be finessed in a different way. Mm -hmm. Good, good word. <laughs> yeah, finessed. Yeah. Is this, is regenerative medicine 
something that you see, and, and I'll go with stem cell specifically, is it something that you gentlemen see as uh, could become standard of care for afflictions such as osteoarthritis in the next decade, 20 years? Is, is it something that's coming down the pipeline? What do you, what are you, what's your opinion? Yeah, I know. I, I think that as we learn more about it um, and get better, you know, I think that the thing that we really need to get better at is putting together all of these cases that have been done and, you know, getting more of that out there. Um, mm -hmm. But I do think that it's going to become not something, you know, right now, unfortunately, what happens is, you know, that's first you might say, well, let's try some nutraceuticals. And then when that, you know, only works so well, you go to NSAIDs and, now you're giving a lot of meds and you're then you're starting to give them medication to prevent the secondary effects of the NSAID. So and then when all else fails, stem cells are being brought up. And I think that what's going to happen is that stem cells are going to move up in that uh, list of treatments instead of being they failed, they failed, you know, they failed, they failed. OK, you know, it's going to be all right. You know, we can try this briefly if it doesn't work you know, stem cells, not, uh, you know, not having to, to wait a year or two uh, of going through all these other ideas that aren't working well and have other right. effects. I mean, that's the beauty of stem cells is that really um, there are no side effects. I mean, you know, you get this benefit um, without the side effects, you know, you don't have to treat First thing that can happen is nothing, right? The worst thing that can happen is nothing. That's right. Yeah. One thing, one thing that you brought up, Dr. Cofone, that's interesting in this COVID times, and I know all of us are putting up with this. It's like now if um, you have an animal in clinic with a, with a, with a, a, a torn, torn cruciate and you refer them down, in our case, in Topeka, we'd refer to Kansas City or to Kansas State University uh, for TPLO surgery usually. Right now, TPLL, TPLO surgery in Kansas City is approaching $10,000. And if you can get in within three or four months, it's just, it's, um, it's getting to where people may be looking at stem cells as a more rapid way to treat these animals um, with cruciate tears. And uh, an, another use that I think is going to be is going to be a very strong or anyway, the reports that we're seeing now from people that are using it on cruciate tears because actually seeing the repair of these uh, of these cruciate ligaments. So I think that's going to be a, a strong point. I, I don't mean to step on a on a surgeon's toes, Dr. Capone, because I know that we've <laughs> got to do that. But it looks well, I'm going to suggest that the people in Kansas spend five thousand to take a visit to Philadelphia and visit the city of brotherly <laughs> love, and then spend the other five thousand to get their dog taken care of because it's Absolutely. only about five thousand around here. But uh, no, I it, it's true. I I, I mean uh, the, the the cost of treating uh, is, is is also to be taken into account. Sure, and uh, you know we're all looking for the best outcome for the best price. Absolutely. And now the time frame as far as getting them, getting them into a lot of places, there's a lot of uh, referral surgeons that are the three to four months before they can even book, in a, book a surgery. So people, I think, want to be a little proactive and maybe do something in the meantime. And like you said, if the stem cells don't give enough stability, you can always go in and surgically repair that joint. Unfortunately, it doesn't work the other way around. Once you do the surgical repair, stem cells don't work so well, but it's, a, it's another option. Once again, it's another tool in our toolkit, Dylan. Right. <clears throat> and you say you, it doesn't work as well after the surgery, but it does work well in conjunction with the surgery, correct? Ab absolutely. I don't know if Dr. Capone has ever met uh, Dr. Tom Newland from Arizona. Um, John Steele. Tom went over and spoke in Poland to uh, the Regenerative Medicine Society over in Poland. And uh, it was interesting that talking to a lot of surgeons over there, his, he related that a lot of the surgeons will not do surgery unless they do stem cells at the same time because it makes their surgery look that much better. <laughs> so there's, uh, there's, some, there's some things, um, once again, the difference in, 
and environments here themselves uh, to a lot of surgeons are, are not smiled upon, whereas over there they're used as a front uh, first line. Well, I definitely, you know, would speak to the fact of using PRP with um, almost any joint surgery, you know, if you have that ability to, uh, to do that, uh, certainly to incorporate PRP with the cruciate procedure, patella luxations, um, elbow, you know, even if you're doing arthroscopy, uh, an elbow debridement, uh, in incorporating PRP into your surgery will improve speed and, and maybe even the quality in the long run of, your, of that patient's recovery from that surgery. I, I can't speak at all to combining stem cells with the, at the time of surgery, but certainly PRP is uh, very useful. Mm -hmm. And how does PRP help with the recovery time? Well, it shortens it. I think that the patients experience less post-operative inflammation um, and they just recover faster. Just due to uh, those anti-inflammatory properties of the growth factors in the PRP? Dr. Snyder could probably speak to that better than I can. Sure. He, but uh, yeah, I think that's the, 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 you know, the idea, the understanding is why. You've seen some really good results with it personally. Personally, yes. Yeah. And I know we have another veterinarian on Long Island, uh, Dr. Infernuso. I don't know if either of you are familiar with him, but he's doing going through about 70 PRP kits a month, uh, just <laughs> implementing PRP with every single surgery that he does and just loves it. So um, a lot of surgeons see the benefit in it. I think sometimes it's difficult to say, okay, well, the recovery time was shorter or the recovery time was a lot easier on that animal. Well, how so? You know, it, it almost seems anecdotal at, in times, but I think coming from you, Dr. Cafone, somebody that's been experienced in, you know, surgeries for a long time, right? you've been able to witness that benefit firsthand, you know, with a surgical repair with PRP versus a surgical repair without PRP. Yes. Yeah. I, I mean, I feel pretty comfortable, you know, I, I know it's uh, not scientific enough maybe, but you know, if you've right. been doing, uh, you know, procedures long enough, you get an idea of, you know, at the two week time period at the eight week time period, mm -hmm. what the average patient looks like. Yeah. And then you start to see these patients coming back at two weeks, you know, looking like the patients do at eight weeks. Um, and you mm -hmm. see enough of them coming back like that, then, you know, it doesn't take a scientific study right. to, to prove that to, at least to me, right. that my patients are doing better. You know, when I don't do anything else different, when that's yeah. the, the one factor that's different. Uh, sure. And sure. Well, that's why it's a lot more authoritative coming from you than coming from me. Well, <laughs> I believe you, Dylan. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> Dr. Snyder, what are, what are your thoughts on PRP with, uh, with surgery? It's something that I really like to encourage more people to, to utilize. I mean, it's something that I've seen successfully for years now. I Absolutely. just think it's, it's very much underutilized. Absolutely. On on some of the some of the people with the burn cases, I don't know if you have seen those, or maybe Dr. Cafone has uh, mm -hmm. some of these these very large burn cases, um, and using the 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 cod skin scaffolding, the fish skin mm -hmm. scaffolding on those. Um, my, Were you doing your seating the scaffolding with the PRP? Absolutely, the the using not only the PRP but also the clot, mm -hmm. and the, under the under the fish skin. Uh, the first one that my clinic here did, it was like you, you put it on and we, we bandaged it. We put the fish skin, put the PRP on. And this was a dog that had huge groin, I mean, huge burn mm -hmm. and um, granulating in. And it takes forever to granulate those in. But we put the fish skin and PRP on, literally took the bandage off the next day. And we'd thought, how did the dog lick the fish skin off through the bandage? Because <laughs> we actually thought that, that it, it was gone. It wasn't. Essentially, the, the fish skin PRP had essentially melted, if you want to call it that. It's not, it didn't melt in, but it essentially had started to incorporate into that granulation tissue. And literally, we had a completely closed area, nice granulation bed, Within within a week, um, uh -huh. 
things were closing within, I mean, things were healing within two weeks. We had hair growth. Um, it was one of those that you had to see to mm -hmm. believe. It was. And I think, uh, I think, I think a lot of people don't realize that that gel form, that gel matrix, it, it includes the released growth factors as well. Absolutely. I mean, there's a high concentration of growth factors in that gel matrix. And an approach that I see commonly, actually a, a veterinarian here in Lexington that I work with, she'll take that gel clot at the end that's suspended in your liquid PRP. She'll suture that into the incision side after she does the injection in conjunction with like a CCL repair. Absolutely, or smoosh it, smoosh it around. Is that a, is that a good term? <laughs> I don't know. It's very descriptive. Yeah. <laughs> smoosh it, smoosh it around, smoosh it around on those or, or in these uh, delayed union fractures. If not only injecting it, but if, if you open those and around a fracture site, use that PRP clot around those. It's like a, a, a timed release. Um, some of these um, degloving wounds, if they can pie crust some of those degloving wounds as far as opening up and then use PRP in those. It's amazing how fast those, those do heal. It's um, PRP has some amazing property. That's mm -hmm. I, and, and Dr. Cavone, I, I didn't realize what was in PRP. So that's why I wrote, I, I went back and researched it and pulled together all of this stuff. I think Dylan's probably seen the paper Mm -hmm. that I put together on PRP as far as what's in PRP and why does it work. Light activation plays into this. It, right. it is important. And to me, it's a, I have to research something to understand why it works. And that's the case that I had to do with, had to do with the, with the PRP. I'm a very strong advocate of it. Mm -hmm. I call PRP uh, stem cell light or a, a poor man's stem cell because- I stole that from you. I use it almost every day. <laughs> I, I love it because it, it essentially gives us a short-term stem cell effect. Hmm. It, has none of the, it has none of the cells, so there's no prolonged secretion of the, of the chemokine cytokines or growth right. factors. We're not necessarily regenerating tissue. We're not, we're not generating new factors. It's just what you put in. So the stem cells give us much longer effect, but the PRP has some amazing, amazing properties. Uh, I agree with Dr. Gaffone. If every surgeon would use it on, the, on their surgeries, uh, wow. I'd like to see the paper. <laughs> you got to uh, send it to me. I, I will be glad to. I will okay. be glad to. I'd love to see that, yeah. No, because that's, you know, I think part of it is that just knowing it, but knowing why sometimes it, but I think part of what you're, you've also both have said is that you can incorporate PRP uh, stem cell light, if, as you put it, which is, is a good term for it. And again, there is no, you're not, do no harm. You're not going to do any harm. Mm -hmm. You know, you, you will get benefit in most cases. And if you don't, you will not harm, you know, you will not do any harm. So I think it's a, uh, it's really a win-win in, in, yeah. in every ways for the patient, certainly. And you would say that it's helped your outcomes with your surgeries that you've used it with outside I, of just the general recovery time, but outcomes overall, you would say? Yeah, short-term outcomes. I, I mean, you know, it depends on what you're talking about. If you're talking about, you know, cruciate surgery, a TPLO and, you know, uh, but still, you know, it, if that dog's feeling better at two weeks than it, or as good as it would at eight weeks, then you know you have accomplished something. I, yeah. I mean, that's still it's walking around, it's rehabbing its muscles sooner. Right. I sure. mean, the benefit is is real. It's not just making it feel better. It's, it feels better. Everything will will do better. Right. Um, right. So sure. No, it's uh, yeah. It's it's more than a placebo effect sure. and just making or it's not a placebo effect in making it feel better. It's right. It has a real benefit to the patient short term and in the long term too. Right, right, absolutely. And you, you kind of touched on rehab there. I'd be interested to get both of your ideas on approaches to rehab because when we're talking about stem cell therapy, especially in the case of a, uh, a CCL tear or even just a DJD, something like that, it's going to be really important to follow a strict rehab uh, schedule following that. But 
especially since we're able to help, you know, reduce that recovery time overall. But what would be each of your approaches at following a stem cell, following a PRP? What's your approach to the rehab? Certainly, and Dr. Bird, Dr. Bird and I put together the thing on the on rehab after cruciate tear because we realize it's going to be a, a slower process. Right. And, I mean, we're uh, talking five to six months, then, right? Right, and we know we know that the in my opinion is that the the rehabilitation is as important as the the stem cell use because um, if people don't rehab them properly, they're going to either tear up the other leg. Things are going to go south. They're not going to heal. Um, so if the owners don't help us with the with the rehab, we're kind of sunk anyway. And I, I assume, Dr. Cofone, it's the same way that if if you do surgery and the owners don't follow the the rehab or don't help you help them, we're in trouble. I, yeah, absolutely. I think that there's always a you know a a fine line between the the dog doing too much and the dog doing too little. And uh, so there, there's a balance there. And then there's at-home rehab and there's rehab in a facility uh, under you know, water therapy or hydrotherapy, uh, swimming, underwater treadmill. So, but the, I think the main thing is if you can get most, at least we're talking orthopedic patients, if you can get them using the leg again in a controlled manner on a leash, walking, you and you don't lose a lot of muscle mass that you in the long run are going to be better off the patient's going to be better off because once they lose that muscle mass i've always found it you know so hard to get muscle mass back you know no matter what you do you know you see that in people too where it's so quick it goes away so quickly and comes back so slowly so the it's a ben, you know, it's a benefit that you don't lose so much muscle mass because they're starting to use the leg sooner, and it's a benefit because they start to build it back. So, uh, getting them back to using that leg in a controlled manner is just, it, it can make the difference. Like you said, it, it protects the other legs. Um, it just gets them, you know. I mean, if even if your osteotomy in a TPLO heals in eight weeks, um, if the muscle mass isn't there, I think they're still at risk of re-injuring themselves. So you, you do really, it's, it's at getting them back on the leg again is so mm -hmm. important. And so the quicker you can do it, the more comfortable they are, you're just ahead of the game. You know, it's right. just no other way about it. And would you I think doctor probably consider that another benefit of PRP, right? That you can then have a more progressive rehab schedule because that PRP is helping to shorten that recovery time. Sure. I mean, you know, I always tell I know people. No, that's an assumption. Well, but... I just tell people, you know, you know, at at eight weeks or excuse me, at like two weeks, you should be taking your dog for four, at least four, 10 to 15 minute leash walks a day. Um, and but I tell them if if they're not using the leg, it really makes no sense to take them for a, a 10 or 15 minute walk. So. Uh, you know, maybe they only use the leg for the first five minutes. Um, so if you can get them actually to use that leg for the whole 10 or 15 minutes of a, a slow leash walk, then yeah, you're ahead of the game. And so the, the more you, the, the quicker they get weight on it, um, you know, even in the case of, uh, you know, femoral and neck excisions, I haven't done it too frequently, but even injecting PRP, uh, into your surgical site uh, for a femoral head and neck excision to hopefully get them back on that leg uh, quicker, reducing the inflammation locally. Excellent. Uh, I think, you know, I haven't done enough to say whether or not it's, it's effective or not, but I think that there are some other areas that we can look at it where, where it's important to get them back on that leg quickly. Mm -hmm. And if they don't, then it just stretches and stretches out forever. Yeah. To add to Dr. Cafone's point on on leash walks, um, I'm you probably know Matthew Brunke or Matthew's up at um, uh, Annapolis, Maryland. He's in uh, Sherman Knapp's group. Okay, but um, Matthew does a lot of the rehabilitation. I was listening to one of his uh, presentations, and he was talking about leash walks, and I've I've adopted his thing of no longer than a four to six foot leash, and his theory was. 
if they're on the end of a flexi, if they're in a flexi lead, the owner will always have them out on the end of that 25 foot flexi lead and nothing flat running at the end of that lead. The other thing is, uh, as far as loading, uh, those walks need to be at a slow enough rate that that dog is loading all four legs when they move. And just like you said, if he's carrying his leg, if he's carrying his leg for part of that walk, that's kind of a wasted time. But certainly if, uh, if they're loading those legs, and sometimes that's almost on a small dog, heel to toe as you're, as you're walking them, but you have to force them to, to load that, that, uh, that injured leg to keep that muscle mass coming. Yep, absolutely, I agree. Short leash, uh, slow, slow walk, uh, which helps them put weight on it. Um, yeah, it makes no sense to let them at the end of a long lead <laughs> going back and forth. Uh, yeah, you're just, yeah. You know, and it, it's so important, you know, and this isn't such so much a discussion, I guess, about post-op care, but to really reinforce it, I, I Sometimes I have a, a radiograph that, you know, if I really think I have a problem owner uh, in that they, they look at me like I'm crazy when I tell them about the, the need to be careful post-op, I sometimes will pull up a radiograph I have of a, uh, it was a bull mastiff who uh, had a TPLO done and then uh, she fell down a flight of stairs, but uh, she shouldn't have been on the stairs in the first place was the point. I guess, you know, and how everything just fell apart um, and how that was turned into a real, uh, very long and, and painful second surgery for the dog and for me. And the recovery became so much more difficult. But uh, so I just really try and emphasize if I have an owner who looks at me like, oh, you know, the stairs aren't a big deal. It's like, yeah, well, you know, you don't want to be this dog. You know, it's like, a, <laughs> right. Yeah. Well, and the reason so, I tell our partners to, to emphasize rehab so much, and the reason I like having these discussions on our podcast, I mean, we probably talk about rehab almost every other episode, but it's really something that I want to hammer people in on because what happens is that you send a pet owner home with rehab instructions, they don't follow them, the dog falls down a flight of stairs, like you just <laughs> said, Dr. Caffone. Well, and then they come back and they say, oh, the stem cells didn't work at all. And then we would, and then maybe we consider that a non-responder, right? And it's because somebody didn't follow those rehab protocols. So we want to make sure that we're avoiding that at all costs, right? Because we know this is good medicine and we want people to see the results that we expect generally. Yeah, no, absolutely. I, you know, I, I think that a lot of times, you know, people come to me uh, also and maybe they've, they've had cruciate surgery themselves or they know someone who's had it and we start talking to them about an osteotomy or maybe a, a, a lateral suture of some kind. And they say, well, why don't you just do the surgery like they do in, in people, which is a patellar tendon graft or, uh, you know, some other type of, of grafting uh, and replacing the cruciate. And I think there's a couple of reasons, uh, certainly mechanically, there, there, I think there's some other issues, but the other is that we don't have the post-operative control of these patients like they do in people. I mean, right. you know, in a person, they put you in a, a brace, they tell you don't flex your leg more than five degrees for the first three days. And then, you know, you're, you, you know, such good control. And we have, you know, our, like we said, our best, the best we can do is tell them, keep them on a short leash, control the, the length or the time of the leash walk, uh, keep them away from dangerous situations like stairs or, you know, jumping or, or roughhousing with another dog, things of that nature. But outside of that, you know, we don't have the control of uh, how much they'll flex the knee in the first, you know, 10 days or the first 10 minutes, really. You know, mm -hmm. it's, uh, so it's very important that we do things. And that's maybe why stem cells, you know, because we can do that and we don't, we can leash walk them we don't have to have that kind of control over them mm -hmm. you know it's it's a, a safer way of doing things certainly in that if uh, we inject the stem cells and they uh you know flex the leg or they walk up and down stairs that that isn't nothing's going to fall apart right one of the and i'm just going to kind of turn base here switch uh, switch topics one of the primary reasons I wanted to have you two gentlemen on here today is to discuss joint injections. 
And so we encounter a lot of our partners, some of our potential partners that just have some apprehension towards joint injections. I know it's not super common. Some people, it's something they haven't done since they were in school. So what encouragement and what advice can you give? I'll start with you, Dr. Cafone, on people that are getting ready to perform their first joint injection. Sometimes in the case of some doctors, it's they haven't done one in over 20 years. So what, what do you, how, how do you talk to those veterinarians and what kind of encouragement could you offer? Well, certainly there are joints that are easy and there's joints that are more challenging uh, to do. So if you're, you're going to start doing them, uh, certainly if you can do a knee or an elbow, uh, those are going to be the two joints that are going to be the easiest to do. Uh, I think the other is just to get comfortable with the anatomy. Um, you know, most of the time, if you do a joint injection and you, you use good aseptic technique, uh, you're not going to cause a problem. You know, you don't have to hit it the first time. Um, and if you're really apprehensive, then, you know, get somebody who does them to come and do them with you or go to someone who's doing them and just watch them do a couple. You know, I, it's like anything, you know, uh, you know, the first time you spay a dog or castrate a dog, it's, it's all scary. And, uh, you know, if you haven't done it, but the more you do it, the better and more comfortable you're going to become with it. You know, certainly doing your first joint injection on a maybe a 55 pound dog versus a 200 pound dog or a three pound dog uh, is going to be easier and it's going to just build your comfort level. Make sure you have the right needles. I think that, you know, you don't want to be using a 25 gauge needle on a 80 pound dog and you don't want to be using a, you know, 16 gauge needle on a five pound dog, you know, so make sure you have the right, the right needles. Um, just be prepared. And I think things will go right. There are, you know, definitely most joints are not that challenging to get into. I have partners that have practiced on cadavers before. Yeah, I think if you can can do that with a cadaver or or even a uh, simulated, uh, you know, and there, if you're going to, if you want to get into stem cells, I think that there are certain uh, things you got to learn. You know, you, you've got to sort of dedicate yourself into learning and being comfortable with certain things like joint injections and, you know, the fat collection, even, uh, you know, most veterinarians would be comfortable with that. But, you know, how to do the fat collection, how to do it um, so that your outcomes are predictable and they're good. Uh, so, it, and it, they're not that hard. I think it's just a matter of, you know, doing them. Yeah. Getting that experience. Yeah, well, Dr. Snyder that, yeah. probably, you know, probably I, taught a lot of people how to do this. Yeah, it's, it's one or interesting. two. <laughs> it's interesting. Uh, you, one of my major things with joint injections you did bring up, and that is aseptic. You've got to have aseptic technique. And I'm still a big one as far as any joint, anything that gets injected gets clipped. It gets a five minute, five minute betadine scrub. I'm still a big betadine guy. I think that's the, uh, there isn't anything like betadine, but, um, and if we do that and you're gloved and you do sterile technique, I'm a, I'm a guy that if I can feel something, if I can put my finger and feel a joint, I can get a needle into it. Right. If you've got good aseptic technique, if you don't hit the joint the first time, you're going to pull the needle back again and try, pull the needle back and try again until you can thread it. You're not going to, I mean, a lot of people are concerned that you're going to, that you're going to damage the cartilage, the articular surface, that needle's not going to do a tremendous amount of damage. So to me, there's not a great deal of problem with it. A lot of people have problems mastering, mastering the, the hip joints. Um, a lot of people do lateral approach. I tend to like the medial approach. I like the, I, once again, if I can get my finger in the joint or on that joint, uh, I've got to just avoid the femoral artery vein and nerve and I'm, I'm good. But um, about any joint that I can, if you can see it in your mind's eye, 
and have it well prepared. I, I, I don't see a lot of downside to joint injections at all. I think most of it's in our, most of it's in the, in the head of the veterinarian doing it. If they're, mm -hmm. if they're intimidated by it, it's going to be a little tougher. I've been in a, a couple of surgical suites of partners on, on their first day of a case, and they always want to pull up synovial fluid. And I've seen the, the panic in a veterinarian space when they try to go and pull synovial fluid and they just keep sticking and they can't find, they can't pull that synovial fluid. So what kind of encouragement would you offer there? Because I know that's not a, a, a big concern for us. Unless there's a lot of effusion. If there's a lot of effusion in the joint, you're concerned about pressure in the joint. If there's effusion, you shouldn't have problem getting synovial fluid out. And if there's not a lot of effusion in the joint, why worry? Why why fret and stew over that? Get the cells in and move on. Yep, yeah, I agree. Absolutely. Yep. So before we sign off for the episode, and again, this is going to be our last episode of the year. So thank you to, to all of our listeners. We, we sure do appreciate you as partners and potential partners. Really like to celebrate with you two here, uh, here for the last question. I'll start with uh, Dr. Cafone. What has been your most impactful or favorite case with regenerative medicine, stem cell or PRP? Well, I think that, you know, there's a, a, a large Rottweiler who I treat it. Uh, you know, she's an older dog. Uh, I had done both her knees, uh, TPLOs on both her knees. And we knew that her hips weren't great, but, you know, each time we did uh, a knee, she did very well. And, you know, about two or three years after I did her last knee, she came back and uh, her hips had finally caught up to her. And I think the owners were, you know, had already, they were emotionally and financially very uh, in, invested in this. And she was a very sweet dog. Yeah, she still is a very sweet dog, actually, that was. Um, and they really, you know, the idea of doing total hip replacements just wasn't in the cards, you know, it, it just wasn't. So we ended up doing uh, stem cells on both her hips. Um, and she just did remarkably well. Uh, and she, we, we banked the cells. She went out for about uh, 18 months or so. And then the owners called and said that, you know, she was off all her NSAIDs. You know, she was getting some fish oil, I think was about the only thing. But, you know, I, I think they, they just like giving her treats and that's why she got fish oil. <laughs> and, uh, after about 18, 16, 18 months, she started to, they said they could see her having a little trouble getting up. And we just, you know, got cells, re-injected re her. And two weeks later, she was, you know, back getting up, moving around, doing really well. And, and she's still going, going strong. So, you know, here's a big dog who um, really bad arthritic hips. And she did just remarkably well. And she had, you know, had a lot of you know, certainly uh, it just, it was a case that I could continue to treat. Um, she just stands out, I think, just because of her, you know, what the owners had put into her, what she had gone through already with both her knees and the fact that we were able to, you know, this is another, you know, probably three and a half, four years now, four years that she's wow. got uh, a good quality of life. And that's uh, priceless for those pet owners. Yeah. And it's, you know, Every, you know, people have a different way of looking at it, but every year to a dog and, you know, whether it's seven years is one year or five years, but, you know, every year to a dog is a large chunk of time. You know, it's, it really is. So if you can give uh, a dog another year or two of good quality life, I, I think that is, you know, it, it's priceless. You know, it really is. You know, I mean, certainly there's, uh, it, it's just, not just giving them a little time, it's giving them maybe a seventh or an eighth or a tenth of what would otherwise be a shortened life. So I, I think, you know, stem cells have, you know, when they give an extra year and a half or two years or four years, um, it's really, you know, for that patient, for that dog, for those people, it's great. It's just super. Absolutely. Dr. Schneider, what, uh, what case do you have for us today? I'm going to I'm going to change it up on you. I know you're ready for Coco because we always talk about Coco. She's still a 19-year-old German short hair. For those of uh, for those of you listening, you can find the story about Coco in like three or four more episodes. So you'll I'm sure you'll find it somewhere. <laughs> one that one that uh, this is a one of the Atopy dogs actually Gizmo. Excellent. Gizmo is a Labrador Yellow Lab. Um, 
uh, it's amazing that you'd have skin disease. I know, I know that nobody ever sees skin disease in a, in a yellow lab. But anyway, Gizmo was one of these that uh, actually was in the K-State Atopy trial. Um, she constant, I mean, summers were miserable for this dog. I mean, weepy, weepy ears. Wow. Uh, she was constantly licking perianal, perivolvular area, constant hot spots on this dog, just a mess. Like I said, summers were, you know, well, in any time other than, a, than snow on the ground, the dog was miserable. She went down, got the stem cells. Uh, she was part of the trial, like I said. Um, she, at 60 days, was considered a non-responder. Um, once again, we're dealing with immune-mediated disease. It's a much different time frame than osteoarthritis or, or um, appendicular skeletal um, injuries. Um, this dog, six months later, was absolutely, I saw her at the next, uh, when we vaccinated her the next spring, no, no symptoms at all. I mean, the dog's skin has remained essentially perfect for three years. I think it's going on four years since she was in that trial, which is one of the things that I'm, I'm considering that that's why I think that the stem cells do actually reset these immune systems to where we're changing the rest of the life of this dog. And this dog has not been, this dog has not been retreated uh, in four years. Um, some dogs, I know there are some people that do atopy dogs that within 30 days, the dogs are doing great. Um, I don't know if it's just the anti-inflammatory properties, but in, in the case of where we're resetting these immune systems, I think it's, uh, it's a, it's a big, like I said, when we started out, I think that this is going to, the immune media disease is going to be huge. Like Dr. Cofone was talking about the immune mediated polyarthritis treated a couple of those, both of them did very, very well. And these were university confirmed polyarthritis. Um, and you, you see dogs like, like that, the Pimpagus cases, the, the IBD cases, the just, they, they're slower responding. You have to be patient with them. Um, but I think the, the treatment is much more durable, long lasting. And I think that may be the, a huge legacy and it makes sense for regenerative medicine. You're fixing the you're fixing the the, the basis of the problem, not just putting a bandaid, not just using a not just using a steroid. Right. It. You're actually you're actually changing the way that that dog's immune system is responding. Attacking the root cause of disease again. Root cause cause of disease, correct. Yeah. Well, it's all it's all very exciting, and just another one of those things that we're learning more and more about every day. That's why it's uh, it's excited to be involved with us. So we'll go ahead and. Uh, in the episode on that, Dr. Cafone, thank you so much for joining us uh, today, sir. I appreciate you. Well, thank you for having me. It was, uh, I enjoyed it. it was Absolutely. Fun. Well, yeah. well, we'll get you on again. And then Dr. Snyder, as always, the, the stem cell guru himself in the flesh here on the podcast. <laughs> thanks. Uh, thanks for joining me. Enjoy it. You got me shut down before, before an hour, which is, hey. I, I love to talk about this stuff. <laughs> I'm getting better at it the more yeah. I work with you. <laughs> you haven't heard him say shut the up. <laughs> yeah, right, right. Um, but uh, anyway, thank you everyone so much for joining Thanks. us. Everyone uh, have a Merry Christmas. Appreciate yeah. it. Wishing yes. everyone uh, good health and a happy holidays. And uh, we will see you again in January. Great. Very Thanks good. again. Yep. Merry Christmas. Take care. Now. Merry Christmas. Bye now. Bye. Happy holidays.